Welcome to Bliss at Noon. This is episode one. My name is Logan Noon, and I want to thank you for tuning in today. Episode one, I think, is going to be a lot different than the rest of the episodes. For the first off, I have no idea what I'm doing. I've never done a podcast before. I'm just kind of figuring it out. So I'm going to ask you to please bear with me. If I sound a little guilty, if I have some awkward silences, I encourage you to laugh. Write me a funny comment. But I need your help, listeners. Like most other bipolar people, I'm very good at starting projects. I'm extremely terrible about following through with projects. So I think the easiest way I'm going to be able to keep this going is by interacting with my audience. So please, I encourage you to write to me. Maybe if you want to come on the show and talk with me. The plan of this show, and really the mission, is I just want to talk about mental health. I really think that's my greatest skill. That's my driver that got me to medical school. I think that's going to keep me passionate about mental health. And most importantly, I hope that it encourages people to seek out some means of treatment about their own mental health if they're struggling. I think this is a massive problem, not just here in America, not just with poor and homeless people, but everywhere. Everyone has mental health challenges. And I think it's easiest if we simply just talk to each other about our mental health challenges and realize that we're a lot more alike than we really think. So once again, thank you for listening. How today's really going to work is I want to tell you what to expect out of this podcast, and then I really just want to get into my story. I think you guys will enjoy this podcast more if you just know me, know where I came from, and why I chose to go to medical school, what my future careers are, and what you can really expect out of the future episodes. All right, so let's get into it. So I'm guessing you're listening today because you know me as a person who speaks openly about their bipolar disorder or mental illness. Sadly, a lot of people don't know people who speak out like I do really publicly about their mental illness. People think it's really hard. I haven't found it to be that way at all. I found it to be extremely rewarding because in... 2013, when I decided to speak out about my bipolar disorder, so many people reached out to me about what was going on in their life. And it has been such an exhilarating, wild, and fun journey that has led me from dropping a career, going back to community college, moving from California to Connecticut, back in with my parents, and then moving out here to Yakima, Washington, and starting medical school. It has been absolutely wild, and why I want to start this podcast is I've met some incredible people along the way who've changed my life and have inspired me, and I want you to get to know those people too. So that's really my plan for this podcast. You're going to be hearing from people that I met prior to medical school. Maybe they helped make me or motivate myself to speak out openly about my mental illness. Maybe I met them afterwards. But also, I just started medical school in August of 2017. So what, four months ago? 
Yeah, four months ago. And my classmates are incredible. So many of them enjoy speaking out about mental health in their own right. And now, when I say mental health, I don't necessarily mean someone who has a diagnosis like me. A label, whatever the hell you want to call it. Maybe they're just a regular person, whatever the hell that means. But they have some sort of mental health challenge and they have felt comfortable speaking out about it. So you're going to hear from people like that. And then I'd like to talk to some other online advocates about mental health. And maybe I've never even met them before. So this is going to be, I think, a fun experience for all of us. You're going to hear me talking to people, almost reconnecting with them, who I haven't talked to in a long time, or someone brand new. All right, so growing up, I didn't really have too many mental health challenges, to be honest. I grew up in good old Litchfield, Connecticut. Nice scenic town, real small. I had two parents who are still married to this day. I had a younger sister. I really had a great family. And that's one of the most surprising things, I think, when I people hear I have a mental illness, they automatically assume that I must have had a terrible upbringing. And it's really the opposite. I had all the opportunities a kid could ask for. You know, I was playing sports. My parents would take me skiing. My dad had a flexible schedule, so he was able to watch nearly all of my sporting events. My mother uh, dropped her career in fashion, went back to school to become an art teacher, and she eventually was an art teacher within my school district. So I always saw her. It was really a great, great family, and I'm extremely grateful for that. But now my mental health symptoms didn't really start until I studied abroad in Scotland. When I first got to Scotland, it was so exciting, but also it was the first time in my life that I was away from home and in a totally new culture, you know, 3,000 miles from my family and 99% of my friends at the time. And I didn't know if it was from the jet lag or just that excitement, but as soon as I got to Scotland, Suddenly, I couldn't sleep. I was sleeping maybe two to three hours every night. And at the beginning, I just kind of shrugged it off. Whatever, jet lag, it'll go away. Yada, yada, yada. You know, by the time about the second week rolled around, I might have been taking advantage of the fact that the drinking age in Scotland is a little bit friendlier. It was awesome. So we were going out, having a blast at these bars, finally being able to buy pints like a real man. It was fantastic. But I must admit I was using that alcohol as a sleeping aid. And I just kind of thought this insomnia would go away. And I just was ignoring it. But, you know, it still persisted for a good month. I was sleeping like two or three hours every night, just starting to feel really exhausted throughout the day, irritable, and all day I would just have this obsession thought, am I going to sleep tonight? Man, I hope I sleep tonight. Man, I hope to sleep tonight. Oh, God. Oh, man. Uh, 
it sucked. It was a terrible way to live. And then what I was realizing is because I was getting so little bit of sleep, it was making my anxiety worse. And so on. And so on. I can just remember laying in bed, looking at the clock. Alright, if I fall asleep at this exact moment, I'll get five hours. And of course that doesn't happen. And it was just terrible. And that insomnia and anxiety eventually grew to depression. I was just so exhausted all the time that any chance I could get, I was trying to go back to my dorm room and just nap. So I was always isolating myself, and that was such a weird behavior for me because I'm very social. I like being around people, but I just wanted to sleep so damn bad. I was just always isolating. It sucked. So this depression really started to come on about two months into that Scotland experience. I just started to not feel like myself, and I was barely exercising, I was feeling like crap, still using the alcohol to kind of aid myself to sleep, I was just gaining weight, and at that time I was dating a, in a long distance relationship, so it was extremely challenging. So, you know, fast forward about three months, this insomnia and everything is still going on, the depression kind of hits a new craze. I thought everyone around me hated me. I thought suddenly that my parents and sister and just like everyone around me, I thought everybody hated me. I just felt I didn't even know who I was anymore. It was the one of the worst and lowest and deep times of my life. And I just remember laying in bed, just sulking. And I didn't know why, but always feeling like crap. And I could sort of momentarily pull myself out of it, whether it was, you know, going playing basketball, I was on the basketball team then, or even going golfing or drinking, but as soon as I would get back in that isolation, that depression would just subside, or not subside, excuse me, just take over everything in my life. So, really, one of the deepest points of that Scotland experience was I remember there was a classmate of mine who passed away. And so I, if you're familiar with St. Andrew's Scotland, it's on these cliffs. It's a beautiful place. And so this poor gentleman, late at night, fell off a cliff and happened to pass. You know, they did no idea if it was a drunk accident, potentially suicide, but the sad thing was, I was in such a deep state of depression, I remember thinking, well, I could do that. That would look like an accident. And it would just be these fleeting thoughts of, geez, maybe three seconds or so, and it would go away. And I remember immediately thinking, no, of course you don't want to do it. Of Why would you ever want to do that? But that thought would persist and come back. Maybe it would be in a week. Maybe it would be in a day or an hour. It was terrible. But what made it worse is I didn't tell anyone. I didn't seek mental health counselors or psychiatrists. Didn't tell my family, my girlfriend at the time, friends. Just kept it to myself. Sucked. So, finally get back to America. And it kind of got better, a little bit. I think the sun exposure helped. 
you know, I came back to Connecticut in June, just feeling a little bit better, doing well. But the depression, the anxiety, I was having really bad, like, irritable and anger management issues. I just didn't feel like myself, and I still had that gut feeling, I think everyone around me hates me. I just think I'm a tool, a loser. Just feeling like crap, just all the time. But I've masked it. I didn't want anyone to know. I tried to fool everybody and act like myself. Maybe they could tell. But I don't know. But I did my best to mask it because I still wanted to come off as the cool kid. You know, Logan Noon. But it just masked it all. So I get back to America. I start my senior year of college. It's going a little bit better, but we're still having the depression. Moods going up and down because when I was around my friends, I feel like I could kind of pull out of that depression and have a good time. But once I was back in that isolation, the depression. So now, right around the time I graduated, I was going through an emotionally challenging time. I went through a tough breakup with my girlfriend because that was really my first serious relationship in my life. And then I was transferring from being a full-time student to entering the real world. And I was working at that time, or I was starting to work at that time, as an underwriter at Hanover Insurance up there in Worcester, Mass. And I was really nervous. I didn't know if this was something I'd liked, but when they told me my salary, I was like, cool. <laughs> like, let's do that. Because at that time of my life, I thought money was going to make me happy. But, well, wait, you'll see the rest of the story. So it's graduation week. I went through the breakup with the girl, and all of a sudden, I just felt euphoric. I was partying, having a great time. I had just finished, you know, four years at Holy Cross. Well, three years at Holy Cross, one year at Studying Broad, whatever. Graduated. I had my economics degree. You know, I was, I had a job. Woohoo! Let's go! And so that euphoria feeling fit in with everyone else around me. All my classmates were partying, having a good time. We were even hanging out with our families. It was incredible. However, at that time, the insomnia couldn't come back, or came back, excuse me, in full force. Now, I still was dealing with insomnia prior to that. Like, similar to Scotland, maybe four hours a night. Anywhere from like two to four hours I was getting. But that week, that undergraduate week, following the breakup, it was insane. The true extreme of insomnia no sleep so this just continued on this graduation week by about day three that's when things started to get weird i was having these racing thoughts and almost sort of conversations in my head and people around me couldn't follow me or follow my sentences what i was trying to say i was just almost like random words spitting out and I started to have these feelings where I wanted to tell people I was depressed. And I thought all of a sudden, I'm better. Because now I told you that I was depressed and I feel better now. This is when I think people really around me, my classmates and friends, started to see that something was off with me. But, you know, who knows how to intervene in that situation. So I wanted, I had these like 
grandiose thoughts. I thought I could start some sort of website where our people would talk about mental health and it would be all perfect and peachy and I thought I, I had it all planned out in my head over the course of that day because my brain was working so fast because it was a manic episode but I'll get into that so this it really was a manic episode out of a freaking textbook because by about day three and four these thoughts about maybe starting this nonprofit website that was going to save the mental health world, I ended up essentially harassing parents of my classmates to try to get them to invest in this new idea I had because I thought I was the next Mark Zuckerberg, Mark Cuban, Elon Musk, you know, just smartest man alive. I thought I could just conquer the world in a day, and I just needed some money to get going. It was scary, I think, for the people around me. I don't know if they knew how to react, and, you know, clearly something was going on, but what the, you know, people I remember were approaching me asking, are you all okay? Are you on, like, coke or something right now? What's going on? Or are you on drugs? And I was like, no, like, get away from me. Like, what are you talking about? So the insomnia is still going on. Day three, day four, and five. I thought the FBI started to follow me around. I was in my own head just driving around all day just with this deep paranoia. I thought somehow people were listening to my thoughts, going through my phone, hacking my computer, and just following me around. Just utter, utter paranoia started to have these conversations with some voice. I don't know who it was. But these auditory hallucinations, and I thought it was normal, of course, but everyone around me knew something was going on. So thankfully, I was still able to walk at graduation. I was able to come back home. And my parents knew, hey, uh, what the hell is going on? So I remember they had these people over my house. I like to call them the Mental Health Avengers, but really they were an emergency response team to mental health crisis situations. They sat me down, they said, Logan, listen, can you recognize you're not acting normally right now? You know, are you a little off? And thankfully at that time, despite being in the midst of a manic episode, I did have the insight to really realize, yeah, you know, I haven't slept in five days. I should probably get this checked out, I guess. But what they laid out to me is, hey, listen, there's not enough psychiatrists. There's essentially a waiting list. We might be able to get you in this week, but there's really no guarantee. Or you could go to the emergency room. You would, you know, see the psychiatrist, but you would have to stay on the psych ward for a certain period of time and I just remember being like what like are you kidding me you want to send me to the psych ward what get out of here I remember walking off and I said some expletives that I'm not going to repeat today they weren't pretty but then I remember I had two of my best friends in the world Rick and Pete called me up on a group call 
at that time it was 2011 i still didn't know how to make a group call so i remember being dumbfounded how they did it but they called me and they were really the influencers that helped make me the help make me motivate myself to go to the psych ward because they said listen logan you can't ignore this you're about to start a job next week you gotta go man we love you but the only way we see that you're gonna get better is by going to the psych ward right now and getting help as soon as possible so i went i remember showing up to that hospital in torrington connecticut and just remembering how the hell did I end up here? See, when you show up at the emergency room and you're in a state of psychosis, they don't put you next to the kid that broke his arm. There's this, like, massive room. Actually, it wasn't massive, but it reminded me of the, like, industrial size refrigerators they sometimes have at schools if ever you've seen anything like that or hospitals with these massive doors massive locks and a big motherfucking security guard standing right there and it was just like what so they put you in your own room on a bed that has damn stirrups on it and belts. Like places to put your feet where they would put belts over, a belt over your hand, and the chest. And I was just like, are you kidding? You better not strap me up. They're like, sir, we won't. Just remain calm. Chill out. You're going to get through this just fine. I thankfully didn't have to stay down in that freaking refrigerator area for all that long. I moved up to the psych ward. And the psych ward was interesting. You know, you, I, I do remember people screaming throughout the night occasionally. But for the most part, it wasn't that bad. You had these group sessions throughout the day. You did get to meet with a psychiatrist. You know, I'm not going to paint this picture pretty. It was pretty damn boring. And all I wanted to do was get out of there. I just remember pacing the halls, staring at the outside, being like, dude, can we go on a walk at least? Uh, no, sir. But they would take you to this, like, sunroom. Because the psych ward at Charlotte Hungerford Hospital is on the top floor. So they would take you to this little sunroof room on, you know, because it was on the roof. But it was all enclosed. There's no way you could get out. Like, barely any fresh air or anything. And I get it why it was enclosed, considering we were on a psych ward on a roof. But, oh, man, it, like, you couldn't even go out for five days. And I just remember just feeling terrible. Like, how the hell did I end up here? So, you're telling me I have bipolar disorder, Doc? Like, what? So, one of the weird things about the psych ward is, you know... People warned me mental health stigma exists, and people could judge you. They could not want to be in a relationship with you. They could jeopardize your work and your career because you have a mental illness. You know, this this stigma does exist, and you don't want to be ignorant of it. I just remember thinking, 
yeah, but they might not. They might be cool with it. Like, what's the big deal? And they're, oh, well, you know, you don't know. You don't want to wear this like a badge of pride. I was just kind of tuning out at this point. Whatever. You don't got bipolar disorder. I do. Shut up. But, you know, that five days in the psych ward, I'll never forget. It was an extremely difficult time for me. And I remember when you finally get out, you are like, oh, it's going to be so much easier now. I'm finally out of this damn psych ward. It's not. You get out of the psych ward, at least in the psych ward, you're surrounded by people that are like you, that also have a mental illness or something that's going on. You get out, who can I talk to about this? I just remember feeling so alone, more alone than I felt when I was out in Scotland. It was, I just didn't know who to talk to. Like, I had just been through the psych ward. I was taking a Bilify at the time. I actually ended up having a weird, awkward side effect from it that I didn't know was a side effect, where I was always twitching sort of my leg. It was sketchy. I found out that could eventually stayed forever if I hadn't gotten it checked out and switched to a new pill. But I didn't have anyone to talk to. No one else knew what it would take to take a Bilify around me. It sucked. So, I was working at Hanover Insurance at the time. I had just hate like, that job, yeah, I paid the bills well, but, oh, man, it was in a cubicle. I was just on Excel all day. I was underwriting and analyzing risk of inland marine insurance and earthquake insurance and all that. Yeah, so please keep listening, but that job was so boring. I remember just staring at the walls all the time, just feeling so depressed. And I was never exercising, just staying at home, gaining all this weight. But the best part about this job is they were going to transfer me. They moved me from Worcester, Mass, out to Sacramento, California. And I had spent six months post-psych ward out in Worcester, Mass, being so isolative. Still kind of going through the weird breakup stage with your girlfriend. Because you know that's never just a one day thing. But I remember thinking, okay, this is my new chance. I can move to California. And you know what? I'm tired of trying to be embarrassed of my mental illness. This is garbage. The stats are, there's a lot of bipolar people out there. There's even more people with depression. I know there has to be others that are just like me out there. So on that long drive, that cross-country trip with my dad, I remember thinking, you know, this is my opportunity. I can start just talking about this. Because prior to that, I didn't even talk to my best friends about the psych ward. Because I just was embarrassed. But I didn't know anybody in Sacramento. I had met these guys off Craigslist. And I figured, all right, I'm going to tell these kids I got bipolar disorder. If they freak out... And think I'm crazy. I'm just going to move out. The lease isn't that, you know, intense. I can get out of this lease. No problem. So I was really nervous but really excited prior to Sacramento. And once I started talking out about my mental illness, just to my friends, they encouraged me to find other people like me. They said, Dude, why don't you just go find, like, a support group? Mm -hmm. 
So they said, why don't you find some support groups around here, man? You know, you this is a bigger city than Worcester, Mass. I'm sure there's got to be some people around. So I finally found this group called Balanced. It was called Balanced Bipolar and Depression Support Group. It met every Wednesday night, downtown Sacramento, in this little old church. It took me six months before I had the guts to even show up to that meeting. But going was one of the best things I ever did. Because that was the first time I was able to sit down with people who also were going through what I did after the psych ward. It was really a beautiful experience. And I went for about two or three years, and I still wish I could, but I don't live in the Sacramento area anymore. But I just remember being able to talk with people that had bipolar disorder for 20 years. And I felt so inspired. I was like, oh, wow, you know, they're living normal, great lives. But they don't speak out about their mental health. I found that very odd. And that's when I really started to learn and appreciate the mental health stigma because I heard stories of people going through rough breakups or losing their jobs. This is everything that the mental health professionals were warning me about. But I kept thinking, you know, this isn't going to change. This world isn't going to change unless people do start speaking out about their mental health. However, I was still new to my job. You know, I was making enough money where I was able to buy a Jeep, and that's why I stayed. I was just having a blast. But besides that, I did not like that job all that much. But I digress. So I kept going to these balance meetings. And I was feeling way better. I was learning how people would tell me the power of exercise. So I really started to take it serious. And when I was out in California, I remember getting on the scale. And I was feeling better, but still kind of dealing with my bipolar symptoms pretty severely. Depression, a little bit of insomnia here and there. And I remember just having to tweak the meds. I remember I finally eventually got on Depakote, but it, that was about the fourth medication that I tried. And I was frustrated. I felt lackadaisical. I still felt embarrassed about my bipolar disorder because, you know, outside of that balanced community, I still didn't talk about it all that much. I got on the scale one day, 275 pounds. Had some nice little man titties going on. It was disgusting. And I just wanted to change. And so what I realized is once I started working out on a consistent basis, I did, of course, start to lose weight. But more importantly, my mental health was changing. I was feeling less irritable, sleeping better, less anxiety. It was fantastic. I consistently worked out and got all the way down to 200 pounds. So I remember I was living out in Roseville, California, still working the insurance gig, dragging out of bed every day, just not enjoying this job, staring at the walls, 
of my cubicle all day, maybe putting in three hours of work at best throughout my eight-hour workday. Just lugging. And I lost this weight, and I was feeling better. But I still hadn't talked, openly at least, about my bipolar disorder. There was many of my friends who didn't know what I had gone through. Really, at least the specifics of it. Maybe they had heard some things, but not from me. But I want you to think about... It was, what, December of 2013, right? The Sandy Hook shooting. That was, I remember, a day I'll never forget. I don't know. December 14th, 2012. That Sandy Hook shooting was really a day where my attitude changed about what I needed to do concerning mental health. I remember the news just all day talking about how people with mental health issues are violent. They can't be controlled. They shouldn't have access to guns. All this stuff. Now, remember what I told you. My mom was an elementary school teacher. She worked at as the elementary art teacher in my town in Litchfield, Connecticut. About an hour north of Sandy Hook. So that day really hit close to home. It was... I just remember thinking... Yeah, some people might be violent who have a mental illness, but not everybody. I could never do a crime like was committed that day. And I'm one of those people with a mental illness. I mean, come on here. It was outrageous. And I just remember feeling like I needed to do something. People are just going to continue to put down people with mental illness unless people speak out. If we don't talk about this, everyone is going to think... We're all like Sandy Hook. It's unfair, but that's how the media has been portraying all of these stories. You don't hear the recovery stories. So that's when I knew I needed to step up. You know, I'm out here living my life, yada, yada, yada. But if I'm not trying to change this, people aren't going to seek out mental health treatment. Sadly, these kind of shootings are still going to happen. I needed to do something. So I remember approaching my good friend, Will Taylor, who I hope to, he'll be a guest on this podcast at some point. He was a, this, he was about 10, 15 years older than me. He was one of the most enthusiastic, fun guys. He is, excuse me, still alive. <laughs> guys of the world. And he worked with Mental Health America and was organizing a speaker's bureau to speak out about mental health and go around in the community and share their stories. And he was trying to get me to join his panel. And prior to Sandy Hook, I didn't feel comfortable. Hell no, Will. I am not doing that. I am not ready. I am nervous. Maybe one day, maybe one day once I have this job or this kind of house or this wife or whatever, I'll be ready. But not yet. Sandy Hook happened. Called Will. Yo, I'm ready. Let's do this. So Will trained me. 
Will took me through this process of really how to speak out about your mental health, public speaking in general, and that's when I kind of learned, hey, I got a knack for this, and this is really fun. I was having a blast. I was able to speak out about uh, my story in front of college students. I went to hospitals. I was able to speak in front of police officers, and I felt like I was finally having an impact. So at that time in my life, I really actually started to feel almost a hypomanic. And what I mean by hypomanic, it's not a manic episode where you're full-blown, like I described earlier, full insomnia. But it's the pre-stages of that. You feel energized. You feel like a million bucks. You feel really good. And you definitely crash after it hard, where you just feel out of energy, just depressed. And for everyone, it's different when these times come and go how long they last, how hard they crash, but I started to feel hypomanic about mental health again. To be honest, very similarly to when I had that manic episode. But this time it was different. This time I was medicated. I was taking the Depakote still. I was seeing a therapist regularly. And something just allowed me to control this extra energy that I was feeling from my bipolar disorder. So I started to get really motivated, and I knew I wanted to do something in mental health. I, at that time, I had no idea what that really meant, but I wanted to do something. So I got the wild idea to post this bipolar disorder story that I was telling on YouTube. Because I thought it was really unfair to my friends that they didn't understand or know the details about what happened. I felt like a phony. I was going around to these schools and hospitals and getting paid, quite frankly, for these public speeches about my bipolar disorder. But some of my friends didn't know this, sorry. Like, I, I, that's, that wasn't okay with me. So I recorded one night just sitting in my kitchen, what I had gone through up until that point, the last two years. And if you search my name, just Logan Noon on YouTube, Bipolar Disorder Recovery Story, I'll put it a link in the show notes if you can't find it. Uh, My video, my story of bipolar disorder, what the last three years had been like, this wild journey of depressed in Scotland, having suicidal thoughts, going to the psych ward, losing 70 pounds, and then sitting in front of my computer, recording this story, no microphone, just going for it. And I posted it on Facebook and YouTube. And I remember being terrified. How is my life going to change now? Is my job going to be cool with this? Is any girl want to gonna date me when she searches my name on Google? Cause let's be real, we know you do, ladies. She's gonna see this. But I wanted to roll the dice. Life is too short to be boring, I thought. To my surprise, that post on YouTube changed my life. Within hours, that video had a thousand hits. 
I had about a thousand friends on Facebook, so I wasn't sure how this was happening. But people were commenting and sharing it and showing it to each other at a rapid exponential rate, and it started to go like mini viral, you could say. Uh, within like a week, it had 15,000 views. By the end of the month, it had like 30,000 views. I don't know what we're at now, but if you haven't seen that video, check it out. You will see like 23-year-old Logan. How old is I that? I don't know. Just going for it. Just nervous as hell, but wanting to do something in mental health and not knowing what to do. At that time, I had no idea I wanted to be a doctor one day. I just knew that I was frustrated with the mental health system around me, and I had to do something. I had to. It's hard for me to put into words what that time of my life felt like. So it's, geez, what, four years ago? Yeah, March 1st. No, five, well, I guess almost five years ago. March 1st, 2013. And this video was just going off. I got interviewed by FoxNews.com, one of the health reporters about this, just asking me, why in the hell did you randomly post this? But just like, you're helping so many people. And I remember just feeling so gratified, feeling that people were watching this and reaching out to me and talking about how they had gone through something similar. Maybe they had bipolar disorder. Maybe it was in their family. Or maybe it was just some other mental health challenge. It was incredible. I was talking to old friends about mental health and new friends that I had never met before. Just random people reaching out to me online about this. That's when I really realized, wow, I like mental health. This is something that I want to do and something I want to pursue. So I didn't know what I wanted to do, though. <laughs> I remember just feeling so lost and trying so many things. I continued to make YouTube videos. Now, you probably haven't heard of them because they're garbage for the most part. Some of them are good. Some of them, though, are just like, if you ever have a bad day and need to feel good, go on my YouTube page. You'll see some gold and some, like, what was he thinking? <laughs> but it's, you know, you live and you learn. And it led me to this point, right? It's a good story. So all these doors started to open for me. I was still working as a public speaker, traveling around California, mostly in the Sacramento region, giving talks, but more and more people within that small knit of mental health started to really know who I was, simply because of that YouTube video. So I decided that I really liked what the balance group that bipolar and depression support group had done for me in my life, and I wanted to do my best to try to add to that sort of community. So I started Blissify, which was a mental health fitness group, I really called it, because what I noticed is if I do a good job about maintaining my physical health, my mental health feels better. 
So, I'll never forget that first Blissify class that I held. That I put up these flyers around the balanced support group. I got about, I don't know, maybe 13 or 14 people to show up. I was so excited. What happened? I ran. I had a whistle. We did a hard workout, just like I was used to. Now, I didn't do the best job of painting this picture, but this was the best shape of my life. I was... 210 pounds or so, running all the time, playing basketball, lifting weights, and what I didn't realize is most of the people that showed up weren't exactly in shape, and that's why they were coming to this kind of event. Most of these people had felt really depressed, and this was their first time really getting back into working out. So yeah, that first week I had about 13 people show up, second week, three. So, I definitely need to modify my efforts in Blissify. So, what it really turned into was essentially a walking group. Now, occasionally we would go swimming or bike riding, but mostly we would just walk around. Uh, McKinley Park was really our favorite in Sacramento, but sometimes we would go on hikes throughout the Northern California region. And it was an incredible experience. So I was doing that at the same time as working uh, in insurance. You know, I've talked about that job before. certainly wasn't something I liked very much. But because of that YouTube video, other doors were starting to open up in my life and people were starting to notice me. I was invited to be the keynote speaker at the NAMI 2013 walk in Sacramento. So if you haven't seen that video... That video of that speech was my favorite speech of all time. It was in front of a crowd of about 1,500. It happened to be on my birthday, my 25th birthday. And I just gave one of the most passionate speeches I've ever given. And I don't really know what else to say because if you're interested in that speech, I want you to watch it. I'll put that speech in the show notes. And it was really something I, I'm most proud of. And I got to meet the uh, at that time, a state senator, Daryl Steinberg, who's now the mayor of Sacramento. And he's really a pioneer in the mental health community and started Prop 63, getting all this funding for mental health in California at that time. I believe it was 63, maybe 65. I don't know. One of those numbers. But I also was able to be invited to throw out the first pitch at the Sacramento Rivercats game on Mental Health Matters Day in Sacramento. It was wild. Next thing I know, I'm recording a public service announcement on behalf of Mental Health America that was broadcasted all throughout California on commercials talking about mental health and how this is an issue that we need to eradicate the stigma behind. I didn't really realize that at the time when I did that recording of the public service announcements because I would get calls from my buddies who were living in San Francisco or LA. Uh, hey Logan, um, did I just hear you on the radio? I'd be like, oh, oh, really? I didn't, I didn't know it was playing down there. Yeah, it turns out it was a California initiative, one of the maybe payments of that Daryl Steinberg bill. I'm not really sure, but it just happened to be one of the most gratifying, fun experiences for me. And all throughout this of doing Blissify, you know, throwing out the first pitch at the Sacramento Rivercats game, 
this fundraiser, huge talk in front of 1,500 people, and this public service announcement, I was still working in insurance. Now, I did sort of adjust careers throughout insurance. I was working as a risk analysis person for a long time. Well, long time in my years. It was like a year, two years. And then I moved on to insurance sales, which I thought was going to be better, but it was even worse. I would make 70 outbound cold sales calls a day. Hello, sir. Have you looked at any different insurance options for your, especially your workers' compensation? I know you're an electrical contractor, and that can be quite expensive. Would you ever like to take a look at any... And just like 80 of those a day, leaving cold voicemails, going to these networking meetings, trying to just like kiss butt of all these business owners getting them to maybe look at a different insurance option so they could save money on the switch and we could earn so it was so boring and i knew deep down that i needed to do something in mental health but i didn't know what i thought maybe i could turn that blissified mental health group into a non-profit maybe therapist and i really dreamed of maybe even psychiatry but i had an economics degree I didn't think that was possible or it would take a really long time or it would just be like spinning my wheels. I was considering nursing in the psychiatric realm, but I wasn't really sure. But I knew that I wanted to be a mover within the mental health space. I wanted to really improve our understanding of what's going on. I wanted to catch people earlier in diagnosis so hopefully we can avoid some of the fatalities that we face both suicide and, unfortunately, homicide, from mental illness. And I really wanted to be a force within that. And I strongly believed that there has to be some sort of genetic component to this that we don't understand. Now, why I feel so this way is my uncle had bipolar disorder. Talked about him in the previous episode. He ended up committing suicide from this disorder. And that's really how I knew about bipolar disorder from a young age. Now, I've also found out later that a cousin on my father's side as well has been diagnosed with bipolar disorder, and we highly suspect my mother, or grandmother, excuse me, on my mother's side potentially could have been bipolar or maybe just had loads of life and would have mood swings. I don't know. Either way, I hear she was the greatest woman. Rest in peace, Grandma Helen, because you passed at a very young age, and I never got to know you. I digress. So, working in insurance. And at that time in my life, I was very fortunate because I met this guy out in Sacramento, Dan. Now, Dan was working as a healthcare consultant. He had taken all the pre-medical school requirements, but wasn't sure if he wanted to go into medicine, wasn't sure if he was worth it, if it was worth it, the path. And kind of similar to me, he was making decent money, but didn't like his job. And just like was at a loss. So we would hang out a lot in Sacramento while I was working in insurance. We had a ton of fun going to Kings games and just, you know, stupid crap that 23-year-olds do in downtown Sacramento. It's a fun city. But what Dan really taught me is that the dream of medical school isn't as far-fetched as you might think, that there have been a fair amount of people that have gone back to school, taken the pre-requirements, taken the the standardized test necessary to get into medical school. He convinced me that it was possible and gave me the confidence that I could do it. So 
at that time, I thought, you know what? I want to go back to school. I want to study medicine or science because I know that's my strong suit. I don't I think therapy could be a really gratifying career, but I want to focus on the science. I want to figure out the genetics of mental illness so we can help save more lives. But to be honest, I didn't think I was smart enough to med school. I wanted to try, and I was willing to try my hardest, but I was like, you know what? I'm going to try to get into med school. If I don't, I'll just be a nurse. And I shouldn't say just because that's still a great career path. You can earn a great deal of money, really gratifying. You can even become a nurse practitioner and you know prescribe essentially almost everything that a doctor can. I So I just remember telling people, you know what, I'm going to be a mental health professional. And they'd be like, well, what does that mean? And I, and then I'd go to that stupid spiel right there. Or, but so I, at that time, I switched from being an insurance salesperson, moved in with my girlfriend, moved out of Sacramento into little Yuba City, California, very small town north of Sacramento, about by an hour, uh, farming community, high Hispanic uh, population. And I went to the community college right there in Yuba City because it was so much cheaper than trying to do it in Sacramento. So I'll never forget that first semester I was taking inorganic chemistry, uh, biology, and Spanish. And I was 24 years old, so excited to be there, sitting next to these kids that looked fresh out of high school. 18 years old, you know, braces everything, super awkward around each other. It was pretty hysterical. But I was also doing really well in the classes because I actually wanted to be there. It was my money that I was paying for these classes. So it was so much more motivating to work hard. And I was excited about class. And I happened to do really, really well. So as school went on, I actually started to think, oh, wow. Maybe I could get into med school. Maybe I should really just focus on making this goal. And as soon as I think about two semesters went by, I was really all in. I started working as a mental health worker at um, a local mental health facility right in Yuba City. And I was just really trying my best in school and for once finally getting all A's. So over the next year, I... It was kind of an interesting time in my life. I was working as a driving instructor, actually, while taking classes to prepare for pre-medical school. This was really just a job that I could work around my class schedule and my studying. It was a company that was owned by one of my best friends and his father, and they were so flexible and so great to me. But, oh, man, I have never been so scared in my life as being a driving instructor, but Long story short, it was a great little side job. If any of you are happen to go back to med- take the pre-medical requirements, because essentially those high school students have the same schedule as you, and hey, you can do exactly what I did. Or they aren't pay good because it's hazard pay because it is extremely dangerous. So fast forward about a year. I had been going back to classes, finally, you know, really chasing a career that I was excited about, feeling really good about myself. But I was so focused on classes and working to pay the bills that I kind of let some of my mental health habits subside. What I mean by that I wasn't working out the same way I used to. I really eased back on my fitness because I was trying to study so much. And I had put on weight. And I did start to notice uh, 
poor changes in my moods. I was more irritable. I just had less energy. Me and my girlfriend at that time were fighting and it was just just really hard. So I'm not... Maybe a lot of my listeners right now are in medical school. I'm not really sure. But if you're not, applying to medical school is incredibly expensive. First, you have to, of course, go take the classes, wherever that may be. I took them at community college, so that was very inexpensive. But still, applying is terrible. And there are some programs where you can certainly uh, waive the application fee, but I didn't meet those guidelines. Uh, or those requirements. So I had to pony out about a hundred bucks per school, long story short. And then you have to pay, I believe about 400 bucks to take the uh, MCAT. You have to pay for these, the preparation materials. Some people take a class. Then you have to travel around to all these different medical schools. If they do choose to interview you, it's just one fee on top of another long. I realized it was going to cost me maybe about Four to seven thousand dollars to apply to medical school. If, if you added in all the interview costs and everything, so I didn't know how I was going to handle this financially. So I remember looking at my fiance, being like, "Hey, I'm going to need to move back in with my parents." So once I decided to move back in with my family and convince my girlfriend to come with, one, I really knew she was a keeper because she was willing to move 3,000 miles to move in with my parents for me to try to chase my dream of medical school. So three months later, I asked her to marry me. So that is beautiful Migdalena. We're married. She's awesome. So back living in Connecticut, living with my parents, my girlfriend, and our two cats, I wanted to work in mental health, and I was able to find a job working at Mountainside Treatment Center, which was an addiction center about 30 minutes from my house. This was a great experience because it really taught me about what addiction was and how, you know, nobody starts doing drugs with the intent of becoming addicted. So you would hear these stories that, to be honest, didn't sound all that different from when I started drinking. Normal uh, guys. And why I continue to say guys is my position within the Mountainside Treatment Center is I essentially worked in a halfway home or kind of a step up from a halfway home. It was an all-male facility, and so these gentlemen had just completed the four to six week of in treatment where they can't leave or anything the facility and they're uh, completely off drugs after they come in to um, our rehab center and now when once they lived in my house they were allowed to go out within the community they worked at a restaurant that the mountainside um, facility owned right down the street they could have their own cars if they were eligible Uh, so it was really a great experience trying to see these guys reacclimate themselves with society but I got to know them and I got to really learn that addiction can it happen to anybody, whether it's maybe the result of a mental illness or a trauma or maybe just a social situation that triggers someone to need coping mechanisms that, you know, aren't necessarily the healthiest. But 
I so my the application process. I'm working at Mountainside now. The application process of medical school, I think, is way worse than the MCAT, and I think it's even worse than right now when I'm in medical school. What it feels like, because for applications you just have to write all these stupid essays, and they're all essentially the same, but worded a little bit differently. And for every school, so you have to write all these different essays for every single school and then fork out $100 for a supplemental application fee. So it's just so much work all of a sudden because most of these schools give you a secondary application relatively quickly after you submit your uh, primary application. And then it's just waiting. So I remember working at Mountainside Addiction Center and just always checking my email a gross amount of times per day, an unhealthy amount of times per day, just hoping to get an interview. So I was very fortunate. I ended up getting five interviews throughout this application cycle, and I ended up was uh, waitlisted at two of them, and I ended up eventually getting off the waitlist at Pacific Northwest University College of Osteopathic Medicine, the best medical school in the country, in my personal unbiased opinion. On June 6, 2017, and that was a day I will never forget. I was working at Mountainside Treatment Center, and that was actually a day that I was taking the guys off-site to a paintball facility. So I remember when, when I got that phone call all the way from Washington State when I was living in Connecticut at the time. I was like, oh, let's go. And when I finally got that news, we all shot our paintball guns off into the air. It was awesome. So then me and my fiance and our two cats drove all the way in her little Kia Rio, Kia Rio from Litchfield, Connecticut, all the way out to here in Yakima, Washington. Uh, and medical school so far has been really a the full gamut of emotions, I would say. I felt so excited, happy that I'm here. But at the same time, it's also incredibly challenging and taxing. And I anticipated it to be an incredible amount of work and the hardest thing that I've ever done. And it's harder than that. But in the end, I think because I had so many mental health challenges prior to medical school, I've learned a lot of lessons and strategies that I've been using to maintain this stress of being in medical school, and I'm sure the continued stress of being a physician one day. So I hadn't made any YouTube videos in a, in a while. And just prior to getting into medical school, I had made some. But I remember the one video I kept wanting to make eventually was the video about how, hey, I got into medical school. Because in this medical school application process... So many people told me, you shouldn't tell them that you have bipolar disorder. My real, one of my best friends, Dan, told me that same guy I was talking about earlier, dude, it's a bad idea, man. It's just not going to really strengthen your application. I remember listening also to... Dr. Ryan Gray, and he hosts the Pre-Med Years podcast, a great podcast if you're a pre-med student. 
to listen to because he really just gives advice about getting into medical school. And I believe he has a podcast on residency as well. But I remember listening to this episode where he had on this individual who was uh, disabled with being blind. And the first time he applied to medical school, he was very open about uh, his disability and he didn't get in anywhere. I'm not sure if he had any interviews, but he definitely didn't get in anywhere. So he had to reapply. And once he did reapply, he got in, but he didn't tell them that he had any disabilities. And, you know, the school can't necessarily ask. That's the violation of HIPAA. But, you know, I didn't want to live that lifestyle. And it was so important to me that people talk out about mental illness that I didn't want to sacrifice telling someone about my own mental illness because it's so important that we eradicate the stigma surrounding this. So many more people could be saved if people actually were willing to use the mental health system because right now in my eyes as it works is once people reach really a crash or a peak or a suicide attempt or in my case a psychosis that's once the first time they actually have a conversation about mental health with a medical professional and that's not okay so I didn't think it was right if I'm going to start out my medical career by lying and withholding the entire reason why I wanted to go to medical school. Me talking about out about my mental illness is my driving force to be here. And so I read Dr. Ryan Gray's entire interview book on uh, tips on how to ace your interview for medical school. And how to formulate your uh, written statement, personal statement, and everything. And all of this advice that I kept reading was don't alert them that you have any sort of disability. It's just going to make you a red flag. This is already hard enough to get into. So I didn't do that. And I read, was just open about my mental illness from the very beginning in that personal statement. And I just remember feeling like, once again, prior to posting that YouTube video, I felt sick to my stomach, so nervous that I had just wasted all of this money applying to medical school and telling them that I had bipolar disorder and why I, this is why I wanted to go to medical school and throwing that money away because they weren't going to take me seriously. To my surprise, I got five interviews. I was waitlisted at two programs and eventually got into Pacific Northwest University College of Osteopathic Medicine, the best university in the country, in my personal unbiased opinion. I might be a little biased, but whatever. So in this path throughout on the journey to medical school, I remember just having this hope that one day I'd be able to post an update on the YouTube about how, hey, listen, I'm in medical school. People told me don't talk about my mental illness because they're going to change their perception of you. People told me, you know, it could jeopardize your career. It could withhold you from getting into medical school or a career path that you want to. And look, here I am. I didn't listen to those people. I lived my life on my terms, and 
I am not ashamed about having a mental illness. It's part of me. It's not all of me. So the first or second week of medical school, I finally made one of these videos. And I remember posting it on, on the Facebook page, feeling really nervous if all these kids were going to think I'm a weirdo. But of course, you know, they they weren't. They were really excited that I was talking out about my mental illness and I was in their class with them. And that also gave me the ability to talk to many of them about their own mental health. And my classmates were really the catalyst that motivated me to start this podcast because I met so many of them had that had been dealing with their own mental health issues that I was like, oh, wow, this person is extremely interesting. You know what? I bet other people would love hearing to this person's story or what they had gone through. And now they ended up in medical school. And I've been really proud of Pacific Northwest because they've really been sensitive to the mental health of their students. And they want a program that helps these students at least be able to maintain their own life while also succeeding at the same time. Because I've already now had two opportunities to speak publicly about my mental illness at the school. We had an entire mental health week at our campus. And then most recently, I got elected, unopposed, elected, but elected nonetheless, to president of the Behavior Health Club at our College of Medicine. So I am just so excited. I think I'm going to have many people from the club along the podcast with me. I'm going to also talk to people that I met throughout this journey over the last two episodes that I just talked about, and really as a chance to reconnect with them, and then have you guys hear about our interactions, our opinion on mental health. I want to thank you all so much for listening. We're now two episodes deep. Most of my episodes hopefully will be with people, but other episodes are going to just be like this, just me talking. I think typically I'm going to be trying to talk more about just one topic, whether that be maybe insomnia, uh, fitness just in general, mental health in men versus women. I'm not really sure, but this is something that I'm very excited about, and I really want to hear from anyone who's listening about what topics they would like to hear about. So once again, thank you so much. Give yourself a round of applause because you know what? I'm proud of you. You made it all the way through this long ramble. And hopefully now there's going to be other people to talk to. And cheers. The I didn't realize you liked me that way deal. Because it's one thing to receive McDonald's, but an entirely other thing to know that they woke up early to face the world and bring you McDonald's breakfast still hot in the bag. Appreciate you. There's a deal for every morning. Now grab two loaded sausage burritos for only three bucks. Prices and participation may vary. Single item at regular price. Cannot be combined with any other offer or combo meal. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.